is they uh, really need to hear this message. And uh, we really should make additional copies of this, you know, for people that are not here. Uh, but it's going to be out on our web page too. Um, it's communion meditation, you know, first Sunday of the uh, uh, month. So let's uh, go to the Lord's Word. Luke chapter 11 and verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word of God with a noble and good heart, a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. In Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and 31 through 32. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. <coughs> In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may, be, may receive of the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in your consciences. And finally, Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? So often we think of people small and great. We're all equal before God. Amen? So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Father, as I bring forth this message, Lord, I do it with fear and trembling, and I desperately need your anointing, Lord, and I just ask for that, Lord, as never before. So, Lord, I pray that you just give me the words to speak to your people. Lord, you know I'm well prepared for this message, but I still need your anointing. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd anoint these lips of clay and help me to speak forth your word. And, Lord, give us all ears to hear what your spirit would say to this church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in recent weeks for our communion meditation, I've been focusing on the parable of the sower. All of you know the parable of the sower. How a sower went out to sow seed and some of it fell on the path on the hard ground where it could not germinate 
And it says the fowls of the air came down and gobbled it up. Then you had seed that was sown on rocky ground. And the seed sprang up immediately because the soil was shallow. But because it had no depth of soil with the rocks in there, when the sun came out, the uh, plants dried up. Then you had the seed that was sown on thorny ground, which represents people, as we'll get into it. The seed sprang up, but the uh, thorns choked it. And then finally you had seed that fell on good soil, and it sprang up and brought forth fruit, some 60, some 30, and some 100-fold. Okay, we also saw the Jesus' explanation of the parable to his disciples. It's found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The key thought of the, in the explanation is how the seed, which is the, Jesus said was the word of God, how it germinates depends on the condition of the soil. The seed that fell by the path or wayside represents the person that hears the word, but because they have a hard heart, uh, the seed does not germinate, and Satan comes and takes it away. He steals it. The seed that germinates on rocky ground is that which germinates but has rocks in it. And so the plants spring up, but because they have no depth, they dry up when trials and uh, tribulations come along. See that germinates on, thorn, uh, on thorny, thorny ground germinates, but the worries and cares of this life choke it and the plants are unfruitful. You notice that the first two kinds of soil, the uh, soil on the path and the rocky soil, the plants either don't spring up or they die. Soil that uh, germinates on the thorny ground, it still lives, but it becomes unfruitful and does not produce the fruit. And the thing is that each person is responsible for the condition of his or her heart. Hosea uh, chapter 8 verse 12 says that we are to break up the fallow ground. And he means the fallow ground of our heart. So the, the seed of the word can penetrate our hearts and spring up and germinate and produce fruit. And so hopefully we're all going to be productive for him. And today I'm going to start focusing on that last kind of soil in the parable, the productive soil. And I hope that that's the way, the condition of our hearts, everybody here today, and maybe the ones that hear this message later on. I'm going to spend three communion services on this kind, at least three because I, we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ today. And I may spend longer on the judgment seat of Christ. Because every Christian needs to hear it. 
Then I'll be talking about the fruit. And there's two kinds of fruit that we are to produce in our life. One is the fruit of ministry. Everybody has a ministry that God has given you. And if I've tell you before, if you don't know what that ministry is, you need to go to the Lord in prayer and ask what it is. <coughs> Excuse me. Getting over a pretty nasty cough this week. And finally, there's the fruit of the Spirit, too. Found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And from out of that love springs the other springs the other manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, patience. Those are the things that Jesus is looking for in your life. Are you producing it? But the key... We're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ here. And many Christians have never heard this. And have no idea that this is coming down the pike. But it's coming down for everybody that is in this room. And the key verse in this is Romans chapter 14 verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God and herself. We're not sexist around here. We have to give an account of ourselves before Almighty God. So everybody that has ever lived is going to be judged, saved and unsaved. You're going to be judged by God. There's two judgments that are spoken of in Scripture, and I touched upon this last week, too. You know, and I talked about a little bit about the great white throne. I don't know, have any idea why I put that in. But it, it became apparent to me, you know, and I began to meditate upon this message here. And that is, we are going to be judged by God. There's two judgments. The great white throne judgment. You find that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And as I told you last week, you want no part of this judgment. Because everybody that is there for the great white throne judgment will be lost. It says that they will be judged according to the things that are found in the books. And it will be real that all revealed, if they didn't believe it before, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And they had opportunity. Everybody has an opportunity. Some people never hear the gospel of God, but God will give them light. And it, the thing is how they respond to that light. All there at the great white throne judgment will suffer the same fate, which is eternal separation from God. Of course, Revelation 20, verse 15 is a little bit more descriptive of that. These are the lost that spurned Jesus' free gift of eternal life for him. How many of you know that salvation is a gift? Amen? Amen. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is the gift of God. 
Salvation is a free gift. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. And this is the judgment seat of Christ is going to be for the saved. You will not be judged for your sin because Jesus has paid the penalty uh, for that. <clears throat> but you're going to be judged on the works that you produce for Jesus. And this will determine the reward that we receive. So the great white throne judgment is if you've received the gift and the judgment seat of Christ de determines the kind of reward that you will have in heaven. So the question is, do you want a reward in heaven, brothers and sisters? Do you want a reward? I want a reward. Everybody should want a reward when they stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you want Jesus to say on that day of the judgment seat of Christ, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yes. I want him to say that to me. Amen. Now a little groundwork on this judgment seat of Christ. I heard a quote by uh, Queen Elizabeth II of uh, England not long ago. And she talked about her lofty position as the queen of the Commonwealth of England now. And what an awesome responsibility that is. But she recognized this very thing. You know, all Christians, small and great, are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And she said that's what really sobered her up, is she knew that she was accountable to God. And if she's accountable to God, then every single person in here is also accountable to God. Amen? Small and great. We read about that in the great wine throne judgment. And it's true for the judgment seat of Christ too. No matter how lofty of a position that you occupy in this present life. And indeed the higher up, the more wealth that you have, the more uh, exposure that you have, the greater the responsibility. Jesus said to whom much is given, what? Much is required. Amen. And God is going to, Jesus is going to judge you on that account. Some have great positions of ministry. And we look at these people and we think, oh, what a reward they're going to have at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh-uh-uh. Not necessarily. Because God is going to judge them on their faithfulness. And also the motivation. If they're getting into those lofty positions of leadership just so people will look up to them. Maybe they want to have a big house and uh, fancy cars and stuff like that. You know what? They're going to get nothing. Well, I shouldn't say they're going to get nothing. Only Jesus can judge that. But they're going to get a lot less than maybe what they think they're going to. And you know what? Brothers and sisters... You know who I think are going to get the greatest rewards at the judgment seat of Christ? It's going to be the prayer warriors. People you never even heard of. But they took 
seriously that ministry of intercession. And they spent countless hours there in the prayer closet praying for the needs of people, praying for the needs of this nation, praying for the needs of this community. I think those are going to be the greatest people at the judgment seat of Christ. And the problem is so many people have never heard this. And you know, I'm responsible for what I preach to you from this pulpit. And I don't intend to go before Jesus there at the judgment seat of Christ and he say to me, why didn't you warn the people that this was coming down? And I don't tell you this often, but I'm telling you this morning, listen up. Don't go to sleep on me. This may be the most important message I have preached from this pulpit. And how many times have I told you that? I don't tell you that every week, do I? I can't remember ever telling you. This may be the most important message you hear from me. Now while the term, the judgment seat of Christ... In fact, am I? Okay. Uh, while the term, the judgment seat of Christ, is only used twice in the epistles of Paul... And nowhere else in in Scripture do you hear about this judgment seat. The principle that all of us will give an account of ourselves to God someday is something that Jesus also taught. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, But I say to you that every idle word men may speak that they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. So if that's true of our very words, how much more is it true of our works? And really, most important, excuse me, most important is the condition of your heart. Because your deeds and your words spring out of the condition of your heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A couple of instances where Jesus taught about this day of accounting. There's the parable of the talents found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. I don't have time to go through those. Uh, But it says that Jesus gave talents... He, you know, the man in uh, 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 the parable represents Jesus himself, of course. And it says that the man left and entrusted to his servants talents. How much they got, it says each depending on his ability. And the one that got, had five talents, got five talents, he gained five more. The one that got two talents gained two more. And in both cases, Jesus said to them at the day of, or the man, which represents Jesus, of course, on the day of reckoning, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So number one, Jesus will judge you on your faithfulness. We'll talk a lot about that in a few minutes. And then there was a second uh, parable that was very similar. 
And it's called the parable of the uh, ten pounds, or uh, some translations read minus. And there was one uh, translation that I was reading, one commentary, and said the, the, each one of these pounds represented approximately three months' wages. So everybody got the same amount. They got ten pounds, or that is equivalent to approximately two and a half years of our wages. And say so they went out, one man took the 10 pounds and invested it, got 10 more. Another invested the 10 pounds, he got five more. And in these cases, uh, the uh, uh, king who represents Jesus, of course, he says, okay, the guy with the 10 pounds, you get ten, charge over 10 cities. The other one with five pounds, you get, you're in charge of five cities. So, what that means is that Jesus will judge us on what we produce in our lives. Okay? First one was on faithfulness. The second was on what we produce. And I've mentioned these so that we just don't think that uh, the judgment seat of Christ is something Paul cooked up on his own because Jesus taught it as well. Amen? So we need to listen up and hear what the Word of God has to say. Now here, Paul on the judgment seat of Christ. He wrote in 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to briefly go through these two scriptures. <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 5 verses uh, 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive of the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in your consciences. Now this is the only scripture that specifically calls it the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 10, which we're going to mention in just a minute, doesn't say the judgment seat of Christ. It calls the judgment seat of God. But it's the same idea behind that. It says the things, we're going to be judged on the things done in the body, which obviously refers to the things that we have done in this life both the good and the bad. And then Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now this doesn't mean the eternal fire of Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, the lake of fire. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, who is going to be there? Christians. Christians don't need to fear the lake of fire. But it's going to be a terrible time when we stand before God and give an account for this life. I know that I'm not looking forward to it. But it's going to be a great time of great rejoicing too if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. And this is why I emphasizes so strongly 
Paul writes, we are well known of God. God knows everything about us. Psalm 139. He knows our goings forth, our sitting down and our uprising, it says. Then the psalmist, you know, David, goes through all these things, how we can't escape God's presence and His knowledge. And you know the way he concludes it? He concludes it with those scriptures that I've quoted to you many times. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That should be our prayer every day, brothers and sisters. If you're unfamiliar with it, Make a note of it. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Paul also tells us in Romans 14, he writes, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of God, as the Greek reads. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue confess to God. You know what that means? We're on a level playing field there at the judgment seat of Christ. It doesn't matter, again, how great or how small you are in the body of Christ. You will give an account of yourself to God. Verse 12. Now, the context of uh, Romans chapter 14 is our attitude towards our Christian brothers regarding what is called the doubtful things. What are the doubtful things? Those are the things that are not specifically spelled out in Scripture. Committing adultery is not a doubtful thing. Stealing is not a doubtful thing. Lying is not a doubtful thing. We're commanded against those. So what are the doubtful things? Well, Paul in the chapter singles out two things. He says, <clears throat> he's talking about diet. You know, you read you know, from, from verse 1, he's talking about diet. And then what, uh, you know, uh, day you worship. You know, I once to, was uh, used to getting embroiled in conversations with what was one co-worker I had and he was a seven-day Adventist and he said well you should you know eat only vegetables you know you should be a vegetarian like I am and you should be worshiping on the seventh-day Sabbath which is Saturday and it, this is exactly what Paul was talking about there in Romans 10 says some people think that they only can eat vegetables other people think they can eat everything and as far as worshiping, some people esteem one day above another. Another people, person esteems every day alike. Let each be convinced of his own, in his own way. And so, this young man had no right to judge me because I worshiped on Sunday and I felt like I could eat anything. Okay? Because I'm a servant, you know, we're both servants of God if he know, knew the Lord. I, I was pretty convinced that he was saved. He, he just had some, you know, funny ideas that he had been taught. But Paul says, don't judge them. 
We're only to have one judge, the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. And he says, uh, you know, don't judge somebody else as if you think you're something because you're nothing. I am nothing. Jesus is everything. Can you say amen to that? And while we're not to be judges, Paul uh, or uh, Jesus did say that we are to judge people by their fruit. So you're not a, their judge. You don't condemn them. But we are to be fruit inspectors. And if we th- see people that have fruit in their lives that is not good, you know, maybe there's some kind of sin in their life, then we can go up to them and correct them and confront them about it. Okay, that's a little foundation. The most descriptive passage on, in Scripture on the judgment seat of Christ, it's not specifically called the judgment seat of Christ by name, but I assure you that this is, that, that's what it's referring to. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, this passage is very familiar to me. When I was still in high school, some 55 years ago, I attended a Baptist church and I was part of a youth choir. They, they called themselves the Victory Singer. And the lady that was the choir director, her name was Pat Rieger. She was the wife of the youth director. And I remember her talking about this very passage. I still remember that. That's 55 years ago. Uh, she did it maybe uh, two or three times. It wasn't just once. Maybe two or three times. Maybe God had just really impressed on her. To, because This was kind of a side, you know, like she was supposed to be directing the choir, but she, for some reason she brought that out. And I've never forgotten it. And so, reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God that was given to me as a master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For other foundation can no man lay, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation of everything that we believe in. He is the foundation of the church. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, King James Version says wood, hay, stubble, Each one's work will become clear. For in the day, what's the day? The day is the judgment seat of Christ. We'll declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Those of you that came in early might notice that all four of the scriptures, I'm sorry, the songs that I opened up with dealt with fire. That's why we need to pray for that refiner's fire as that last song was. 
Pray that the refiner's fire of God's Holy Spirit will purify our heart now. So that everything we will produce the works and our motivations will be correct. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. Rewards. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Remember, it's all the Christians that are there at the judgment of the seat of Christ. He will be saved yet as through fire by the skin of your teeth. All of his works will be burned up. And he will not, he will receive, it says he will suffer loss. He'll be saved, but he will have no reward. Now, upon what will we be judged? The answer is found just a few more verses down from that passage I read in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And that gives us the key attitude or mentality we are to have in this life. We do not really own anything. Right? We don't own anything. We come in this world, what do we have? A physical body. And when we die, we leave even that behind. So you don't own anything in this life. You are just the stewards of it. And God requires that we be faithful in these things. It's easy, so easy to, for us to understand when you take a step back at it and look at things from an eternal perspective. So what are we stewards of, uh, of, brothers and sisters? Well, I just sat down and jotted a few things. By the way, uh, um, when I first came to this church and uh, Randy and Pastor Sandra uh, found out that I had uh, uh, the ability to teach, you know, Randy comes to me and he says, uh, you know, do you want to take uh, the, uh, uh, the Sunday evening services or the Wednesday uh, night Bible studies? And I, I chose the Wednesday night Bible study. And the first thing, the first series that I was trying to teach on that, I, <laughs> as per usual, I, I started teaching it and then I got sidetracked. You know, I do that. You know, Paul gets sidetracked a lot, too, if you read his epistles. But the series that I was teaching on was based on that very scripture right there, Faithfulness in Christian Stewardship. And that's the idea behind that. We're stewards of everything that we have. First of all, we, we think of stewardship in terms of finances. But it's much more than that. It's time. It's the Word of God. We're stewards of our bodies. How do we take care of our bodies? Do we abuse them? Use them for evil? Our talents. What talents has God given each of us? Our calling. Everybody's got a call. A ministry that God wants for you to have. 
stewards of our marriages, our families. And, you know, I, I, I just kind of scratched the surface right there. In fact, I intend to come back to this subject at a later time. And, you know, just, uh, just even this morning, uh, we're stewards of our relationships. Right. Amen? Remember I told you before, you're to love everybody. Some people are not very lovable. And I told you, insofar as your relationships with people, you take that word hate and remove it from your vocabulary. You should never say, I hate so-and-so. You're to love them instead. If you've got conflicts, you know, you've got to do your best, too, to try to patch things up. Sometimes you don't think that you're wrong, but, you know, it's something you've got to pray about. Again, I'm going to come back to these a little bit later on, but I want to move on because I want to get into the heart of this message. It's not just, you know, pondering what you're a steward of, but also consider your motivation in all of your actions, in all of your words. Being a good steward, that's another one right there. Steward, you're a steward of your tongue, right? Yes. Amen? Steward of your tongue. You're to use your tongue to build people up, not tear them down. You're to speak words of life, not words of death. But the supreme Motivation should be the love of Christ. And Paul wrote that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. The love of Christ constrains us or compels us, forces us. That should be your motivation in everything. Now, before I started that Wednesday night Bible study, uh, I heard this message from a man by the name of Rick, Rick Howard. I still have the tape from that. In fact, I, I brought the tape over here and Susie copied off. We made CDs and I passed those out to everybody at the Wednesday night Bible study. And this man, Rick Howard, had a uh, vision of what the judgment seat of Christ was going to be like. And he relates that in the uh, message. He received it about 18 years prior to the time I heard it. And it was done at my home church at the time, which was Faith Chapel in La Mesa, California. It's the largest Assemblies of God church in the San Diego area where uh, I lived 50 years of my life. <coughs> and Pastor George Gregg thought that this was such a dynamic pass, uh, you know, message that he ran off copies and made it available to everyone in the congregation free of charge. Now, he didn't do that. That's the only time I can remember. But he thought this was a message that we as a church need to hear. You know, not just here, I'm talking about their faith chapel, and to everyone, too. Okay, so this is the heart of the message today. 
the vision that Rick Howard received. And this vision is just an analogy. Whenever you talk about dreams and visions, whether they're personal dreams and visions that you have, or the ones that you read about in the Bible, you have to be very careful that you don't take everything literally. You can see that in the, the prophecies of Daniel, in Isaiah, and especially maybe in the book of Revelation. So don't take this all literally, what you know, Rick Howard saw. I, you know, it says that we're not to, and this is a prophecy, really. To me, it was a prophecy. And with everything, it says that we're to, you know, despise not prophesying. But then it says you test everything to, by the Spirit, right, to see whether you think it came from God. And I think this came from God. And that's why I'm speaking to you about it from the pulpit. Again, the true judgment seat of Christ will probably not be anything like what Rick Howard saw. But nevertheless, it gives us a word picture so we can see in our mind's eye that maybe what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. Now, some of the elements of this vision, again, you know, I, uh, I, I couldn't find my CD of that, but I've listened to this message probably a dozen times in my life so I can pretty well relate what exactly he saw. He said, first of all, there at the judgment seat, he saw the white-robed throngs of God's people as far as the east to the west. You know, we've got a small church here. That church I hear this, Faith Chapel, is a lot bigger. They had an auditorium that seated probably about 1,500 people. And George Gregg had such a ministry there, he had to go to three morning services. And so Rick Howard preached this message three times that day, and maybe a total of 4,000 people, the, the church was packed, maybe 4,000 people heard it that day. So don't think that Christianity is a minority religion. There are millions, there are billions of people that have received that free gift of eternal life. And Rick Howard, in this vision, saw them. Kind of remind, you know, when he recounted this, it kind of reminded me of this picture I once saw, this painting that somebody had made. And it showed Jesus standing at the Mount of Olives. And his arms were outstretched to the heavens. And you saw an immense cloud. And superimposed on that cloud were people, the redeemed. But they weren't wearing white, not yet anyway. Instead, they were wearing their native dress. And so you had people there dressed like they were in biblical times. You had them dressed in uh, uh, like in the Middle Ages. And you had them for more modern age. And they were wearing their native dress. So you had people dressed that were Japanese and Chinese, Native American, and of course, our modern Western dress. And it was really a symbol of what John wrote in the, the 
book of Revelation that people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation will be there. Billions of people. And Jesus paid it all for them. Second of all, Rick Howard said he heard these two cataclysmic sounds. One was the sound of weeping and wailing, such as he said he'd only reserve for the damned. But he knew that there were Christians there. But there was weeping and wailing. And clashing against that was a sound of great rejoicing. Like 10,000 camp meetings all rolled into one. And here were those two sounds just clanging, clashing together like two cymbals. He saw Jesus walking in the midst of these people. Carrying a torch in his hand. Going from one believer to the next. And he would take the torch and touch it to their feet. And there would be a brief a fire. He would say a few words to each believer, then move on to the next. He began to take note of the people that were around him. And it, it was just so significant. These were the people that he knew during the course of his earthly life. He saw his father there. And he looked and he noticed at the feet of every one of them was this pile of wood, hay, and strong. He looked down at his own feet and he knew what that meant from 1 Corinthians Chapter 3. And he's cried out to God. He'd been involved in a ministry with Youth for Christ. A great ministry. They had a TV ministry. And he called out and said, Oh God, is this all I have to show for my life? Because he knew what the wood, hay, and straw meant. That it was going to burn up when the fire touched it. And he felt the Spirit of God speak to him and tell him, Rick, Richard, only when the fire has touched your works will it be re revealed whether there is gold, silver, and precious stones there. And so Jesus finally appoint, you know, approached the group of people with him. And he said it was so significant, you know, the people that were there. And he only singled out two. He singled out the little retired English school teacher who had taught him Sunday school. And she took a special interest in him. And prayed for him daily. And was so instrumental in really turning his life around. The years went by. Rick Howard entered what he called his teenage rebellious years. You know what I mean? <laughs> and 
They called her Grandma Shipton. And Grandma Shipton, he said, would come up to him often, lay her bony hand on his shoulder. You know, she was just a little slip of a uh, person. You know, how many of you know your size doesn't matter at the judgment seat of Christ? She'd lay her bony little hand on his shoulder and she'd say, Ricky, I'm praying for you. God has a great word for your life. And he'd shake her off and say, I don't want you to pray for me, Grandma Shipton. And he said he didn't because he knew that God answered her prayers. And that was the last thing he wanted at that stage in his life. His father was the pastor of the church that they attended. And he said one night, you know, he's 14 years old. He's in teenage heaven on the back row, you know. Drawing pictures, writing notes. You know, he said, I don't know what my dad preached on that night. I didn't care. He said, it wasn't the sermons that uh, bothered me. It was the altar calls that terrified me. And he said, this one particular night, he knew Grandma Shipton was coming for him. (laughs) And it happened. He came, she came up to him, did that same thing, laid his hand on his shoulder, and she said he, she never did this before during the altar call. And she said, Ricky, it's time. Son, it's time. And he broke and followed her to the altar. And there at the altar, he got right with God. He might have been born again before then, but he just had all this bitterness and all the, these other things that needed to be gotten right. And he got right with God that night. He said that there at the judgment seat of Christ, he saw her. And Jesus came up to Grandma Shipton. He said he could never re- remember her first name. But Jesus looked into her eyes and said, Lillian Shipton, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he touched the torch to her feet and it went up in flames and there was a goodly pile of gold, silver and precious stones left behind. And she pushed it towards Jesus with rejoicing. The other person that he shared about was a young man that he had uh, roomed with for a period of time. He went away to school probably the very next year after uh, he had that uh, uh, experience at the altar call with Grandma Shipton. He went away to this uh, full gospel school and they had uh, uh, people of all ages. He roomed together with he, he, he was a sophomore in high school. He said the man that he, young man he roomed with was a sophomore in college. And this young man supposedly received a call to go to Africa. And he said, Rick, Rick said, I, I used to agonize with him a prayer and he would cry out to God if he couldn't get to Africa where he call, uh, God had called him. He felt like he would die. But as the semester uh, went on, something happened. He began to date this young lady, very beautiful, well-to-do. 
And she made it clear to him, you know, she wanted, they wanted to get married, but she made it clear to him that if he were to marry her, he would have to give up the ministry and especially give up that call to Africa. And he made the decision, yes, I'm going to marry her. And Rick said that he used to plead with him. He says, don't do this. The call of God is on your life. That's what's important. But he said, well, Ricky, I know what I'm doing. And he went out and married them. And Rick said he, he didn't want us to, you know, read anything more into this. You know, he may be a deacon in somebody's church, Rick said. He said, I only know I saw him there at the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord came up to him, addressed him by name. Torch fell. His works burned up. And there was nothing left there but a blackened circle of earth. And he fell to his knees and began to weep and wail. And Rick Howard said that Jesus came up to him and looked him in the eye. He said, I was totally unprepared for what I saw. You know, we, we always think about uh, the Warner Solomon's image of Christ. You know, these flowing chestnut locks the of, and a the kind, compassionate eyes. But Rick Howard said, that's not what he saw. You know what he saw? He said he saw the, the Christ of the book of Revelation, whose head and hair, he never thought of this as being uh, an actual person. His head and hair were white as wool, and his eyes were a flame, a coals of fire that looked right into him. And he said he, the Lord called him by name and he used, addressed him, you know, not with the usual address. You know, he was always Rick or Ricky, but the Christ of eternity looked into his eyes and used the only name that had always been associated with judgment in his house. He said, Richard. And he saw the torch began to fall, and he startled up out of his sleep, weeping, crying out. He said his clothes were plastered to his body, and he was shaking like a leaf as if he had been through the most terrifying thing that he had been through in his life, and he said he had. It would be a terrible time, knowing the terror of the Lord... We persuade men. And he woke up, and for the next few hours until the break of day, he went through his life and he judged it. Now I want to conclude with this. Rick Howard has given that message countless times to countless groups. You know, when I was trying to prepare for this and uh, recalling the vision the best I could, 
I went out to the internet to see if I could find it in written form. And as luck would have it, I found that it's, uh, there's a uh, message on there in YouTube. And you can find it too. Just look up Rick Howard, The Judgment Seat of, of Christ. And it's out there. And uh, I've got a YouTube downloader, so I downloaded it. In fact, I may play it for you, at least portions of it, at some time in the future. But he delivered this message many times, and it made a deep impression on one of the women. She heard it, and she sat down, and she wrote a poem, and she sent it to him. And I'm going to, you know, Rick Howard uh, concluded that message with a reciting of that poem, and I'm going to recite it to you now. This woman wrote, When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he shows me his plan for me, the plan for my life as it might have been had he had his way with me. And I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there. And I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still. He would have made me rich, but I stand there poor. Stripped of all but his grace. While memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with the tears I cannot shed. I will cover my face with my empty hands. I will bow my uncrowned head. Lord, this is the prayer. Lord, to the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me, break me, mold me and make me after the pattern thou hast planned. Father, we just come before you, Lord, and you know, this is just going to be an awesome time and it's going to happen to every person here yes. and every person that hears this message. So Lord, help us to do, have that same prayer, Lord, that you would take us and break us. We give you the remaining years of our lives into your hand. Mold us and make us after the pattern you have planned. Okay, at this point... We're going to go into the distribution of the elements. I don't think I've ever given you this much to think and meditate on. And I always tell you, brothers and sisters, that... Sorry, I didn't keep up with the slide there. I'll get all of this available to you, though, if you're interested in it. The purpose of communion is twofold. Number one is it's time to remember the Lord's death on behalf of our sins. With both the bread and the cup, the Lord said, This do in remembrance of me. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, second part of uh, 23 through 25. <coughs> the Lord Jesus, on the same night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul added in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he, return, till he comes. So it's to remember, number one, the Lord, what the Lord, the terrible price that he had to pay to pay for your sins. But number two, it's also a time to closely examine our lives for sin. To see how committed we are, really are. And also examine our motivations, our relationships. You know, after Rick Howard had that terrible experience with that vision he received, he said while he spent the out remaining hours before daybreak, that's exactly what he did. And he said he didn't even know this scripture was in the Bible, but he did what it said anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 and 32, also in that great passage in 1 Corinthians 11 that gives us the format for communion services. Verses 31 and 32 1 Corinthians 11. For if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So my question to you as you do this time of self-examination... Are you really ready to meet Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ? Are you w willing to look into his face? And I really believe that's going, what it's going to be like. What, G what G uh, Rick Howard saw of Jesus. We're going to see that Christ of the book of Revelation with head and hair as white as wool and eyes are coals of fire that will bore right through us down to the very core of our being. I really believe that. Are you ready to meet him like that? And if not, this message was for you. Uh, let's have the uh, uh, Sarah and uh, Freddie, if you would come forward now to distribute the elements. And I'm going to have a concluding song while they're distributing the elements. And the title of this song is called Charity. Who knows what charity means? Charity is kind of a stronger word for what? Love, right? And this song is based on 1 Corinthians 13. And I really believe that's what the main thing that Jesus is going to be looking for in your life. He's looking to see if you've got love. The 
greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's going to be looking for that. This, this, okay. Prophesy and understand Although I have all faith, so mountains may be removed, and though I feed the poor and give up my mind, if I have not charity. If love does not flow from me, I am nothing. Jesus, reduce me to love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not envious, not proud, but gentle and meek. Seeks not its own way. Love sings when Jesus prevails, believes and endures all things. Love hopes and bears every wrong, and love never fails. If I had not charity, if love does not. see him face to face. And I just pray that each of us will have that love in our hearts that he is specifically looking for. He'll be looking for others, but like I said, I think this is the main thing he's going to be looking for in our lives. Because remember, love is to be our supreme motivation. Paul wrote, the love of God constrains us. The love of Christ constrains us, compels us. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for what this bread represents. Your broken body for us on that cross, Lord. And Lord, you endured such suffering as no man has ever suffered before. Lord, having your back ripped open by the cat of nine tails, the crown of thorns jammed on your brow. And Lord, then your hands and feet were pierced. And finally, your side was split open by that Roman spear. And blood and water came out showing that you had indeed died physically. And it wasn't just the physical suffering you'd endured, Lord. It was the spiritual suffering you also endured. That's why you cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because for the first and only time in all eternity, you were separated from your Father. And Lord, you endured that for us. So let us keep this in mind as we partake of the bread. In verse 25, we read, In the same manner he also took of the cup after supper. And saying, This blood, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Lord, we hold up to you the cup representing the blood of the new covenant that was shed for the remission of sins. Lord, we thank you for your exceeding great and precious promises. Lord, that if we walk in the light as you are in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing us from every sin. Lord, we thank you for shedding your blood to inaugurate the new covenant which we are underneath. And Lord, because of this, Lord, we don't need to fear that eternal damnation. But Lord, help us to take our lives and live them to the fullest for the benefit of your kingdom and have that love in our hearts. Thank you. Drink, everyone drink. Hallelujah. Father, we just come to you this morning. And Lord, help us to remember this. Lord, it was nearly 45 years ago I heard Rick Howard preach that sermon. And Lord, I just confess to you, Lord, that I'm struck by how little I have been living it, Lord ever since. But I pledge my life, Lord, that I will continue to follow you, Lord, and do like that poem, Lord, to the years that remain to me, I give them to your hand. Take me, break me, mold me and make me after the pattern thou hast planned. And Lord, let that be the prayer of everyone here too. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Hallelujah. God is good. Yes, yes. 
and He loves us, but He wants us to produce for Him. He wants to, us to produce love for Him and all others. And how many of you will make that commitment to me today? Lord, I am going to pray for your love to some completely penetrate my being. That it may spill out to those that are among me, around me. And may they see the love of Christ in my life. Amen? Hallelujah.